Well, if you'd stand with me now as we come to the Bible, um, we're looking at uh, page 902 in uh, the church Bibles. Uh, it's John chapter 16, if you've got a different uh, kind of Bible with you, which is just fine. Um, and uh, this morning, you'll see the passage you're looking at runs from verse 17 through verse 28. You'll see there's a couple of sort of sub-announcements, sub-titles um, in many Bibles there. The way I've been teaching uh, this section in John's Gospel is I think it's primarily structured around a series of questions that Jesus is asked by his disciples and then answers. And so you'll see how that is structured here as well. And the question we have really here, the, the, the disciples ask a sort of bunch of different questions. And they're kind of confused and Jesus really clarifies what they're really asking. And so in a sense, there's a question here, but there's a deeper quest, a, a deeper thing that they're seeking. And that's what Jesus uh, brings out. And the way I've expressed it is around um, uh, joy. That is, how do you find complete joy? Huge and important uh, question. Let's look at what Jesus says about that. John chapter 16, and beginning at verse 17. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you'll not see me, and again a little while and you will see me, and because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We don't know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, is this what you're asking yourselves, what I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So you also have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. This is God's word. Amen. Do go ahead and have a seat. How do you find complete joy? How do you find joy? I want to say to you that I think that this is perhaps the most important question. It's always a, it's always a hugely important question, of course, how you find joy. But I want to say that I think this is the most important question of our day and our age. Let me just give you um, some way of kind of illustrating that and helping you see that what I'm saying I think is, is accurate. There are, there are different ways of measuring the sort of positivity, the um, feeling up attitude of Americans. But, but the, the, the measurements that we have are all kind of pointing, most of them are kind of pointing in the wrong direction. 
Um, so, this, obviously, happiness is a huge part of what it means to be an American. It's a huge part of what it means and uh, what draws immigrants to America. I mean, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And yet, from 19, you can see these statistics and these, these graphs online if you, if you research it. Uh, since from 1980 to 2016, the graphs, the statistics are sort of going in the wrong direction. So just take, in a way, the most extreme of those. 2016, 45,000 Americans committed suicide. Now, that just sounds a big number. What does that mean? Well, on average, it means 123 a day. And the graph is just going increase from 1980 to 2016. It's just increasing. You know, it's 43,000, 2014, I think, 45,000, 2016. It's just... And it's just the most extreme. I mean, a slightly less you know, extreme example of this would be um, anxiety disorders. 2016, 18%, that's one eight, 18% of Americans were diagnosed. So this is just those who actually had a formal medical diagnosis. 18% were diagnosed with, with um, anxiety, major anxiety disorder. 18%. And, you know, depression, um, 2016, 6.7% of Americans uh, were diagnosed with a major depressive disorder. So this isn't just feeling sad, this is a major depressive disorder. 6.7%, you know, all all the numbers are sort of going in the wrong direction, yet core and at the heart of what it means to the whole dream that draws people to America, has for hundreds of years, and the whole dream of what it is to be an American is your life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And yet, you know, these numbers are not going in the right direction. And what I want to say is, and this is, you know, I'm going to show this, so what you, is that really we've got the, we've, we're getting the wrong idea of how to, how to find that, how to find that feeling up. And what Jesus is going to say here is we've got to understand the question, what, what joy really is. We, we've got to look at the time. There's, a, there's an ideological, theological, biblical time frame that we've got to get clear in our minds. We've got to look at the time, but then it's more than that. It's not just an intellectual thing. It's like, okay, now I understand I should feel happy. No, <laughs> It, it's actually an encounter. So we've got to understand the question, look at the time, but then we've got to talk to God and receive from Him. So, understand the question, first of all. This is verses 17 to 19, and you can see there that the disciples are, you know, really confused and they're saying, you know, it's almost like their question is a geographical question. You know, what's it mean he's going there and then he's going to come back again and then he's leaving to go over here and, and Jesus says, you know, is this what you're asking? Which it is what they're asking because they're so confused. And really what Jesus does is he, he pulls back from their question to reveal the deeper quest. And the deeper quest is actually for God himself. So they're going through a moment when Jesus, as God himself, who's been so close to them, is now withdrawing. And it's a, it's a crisis of, of a lack of this happiness, this joy that they're, they're seeking. 
What, what, he's going and he's leaving. And, 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 and behind that, Jesus is saying, is really is, is joy. They've got to, you've got to understand. So you may, you may have, Karl Barth put it like this. Great Swiss theologian. Karl Barth said, there is an incurable God sickness to man. Meaning male and female, humanity. There's an incurable God sickness. In other words, you have, may have all sorts of questions. They may be, you know, kind of technical questions like they had here. They may be other kinds of questions. The pain and suffering you're going through. The confusion you have about life. And it's not just out there in the world. It's in the church too. You know, you may, you may be looking for happiness in all the wrong places and feeling disappointed. You may have all sorts of questions. But behind that is a deeper quest. And it's an it's a incurable God sickness. You need an encounter with God. I think in some ways the book of the Bible that explains this best is the book of Job. So Job obviously suffered greatly. And um, throughout the book of Job, he's basically asking all sorts of different questions. Why? Why did this happen? What about this? He asks all these different questions. But at the, and then, then at the end of the book of Job, Job does not receive an answer to his questions. What he receives is an encounter with God. So we've got to understand the question. The behind it is a deeper quest. And part of that is defining our terms. So, what is happiness? Happiness is the natural human feeling... When good things are happening. Happiness is connected to what is happening. That's happiness. Joy, as uh, Jesus uses it here and as it's predominantly used in the Bible in my view. Joy, joy is the spiritual fruit that comes from Jesus Whatever is happening. So the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is, among other aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is joy. It's a spiritual work. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. And we're told in the Bible to rejoice in the Lord. It comes from Jesus and an encounter with Him. To rejoice in Him. And it's not connected to circumstances to what's happening because we're told in the Bible, uh, consider it all joy, brothers and sisters, when you face trials and difficulties of many kinds. So here's the thing. If you're a Christian, you can be unhappy and still have joy. You've got to understand the question. But then you've got to look at the time. 
This is verses 20 through to 22. And Jesus here now begins to get into the, okay, the, there's a quest here. You've got to get this joy. You've got to have this encounter of God. And he, he describes them what it's like. And he uses this image of childbirth, which, of course, is a commonly understood uh, phenomenon, you know, you know of, of, of what it means to be alive. We know, we know childbirth. This is a, actually, when we're talking about it in staff meeting this week, one of the wives of one of our pastors is fairly long with pregnancy and was saying, you know, I may be preaching about childbirth right at the right time for you. you know, it could be coming right now we know what childbirth I, I've never I've obviously this will not be a surprise to you I have never given birth but I've been there when it when when giving birth occurs and it doesn't look fun so there's pain in childbirth and what Jesus is saying here is far more profound than simply, you know, I'm going away and then I'm going to come back. And after I come back, though you'll be sad that I'm going away, when I come back, you'll be happy. Far more profound. He, he's, he's talking about, he's, he's, he's referencing this whole theme in the Old Testament, particularly the book of Isaiah, what sometimes is called the birth pangs of the Messiah. Paul picks it up and talks about it as well, that, that on the other side of the cross, we're still waiting for his return. He's talking about how because of his death and resurrection, because of that suffering and the victory that comes because of his resurrection, we now know that if we're in Christ, our pain is now not pointless. There's a point to it. There's a purpose to it. John Calvin put it like this. Jesus is telling us that if we're in Christ, he's telling us our pain is productive. Of course, that makes all the difference. Look at it like this. I, um, I love um, one of the authors I've always really enjoyed. is J.R.R. Tolkien and uh, Lord of the Rings especially. And, of course, a few years ago, famously, they made a sort of big blockbuster series of movies, a trilogy about the Lord of the Rings. Um, don't get me started on what they did to The Hobbit, which was a disaster. But anyway, the, the Lord of the Rings, um, I probably shouldn't say that, but in my personal opinion... Um, um, the, uh, but I've always loved The Lord of the Rings. I, I read it first when I was young. I think I was, I don't know exactly how old, but I, was, I got sick and I was sort of laying in bed and my parents said, hey, read this, you might enjoy it. And I certainly did. I just read it from cover to cover in one week and it was just, you know, hour after hour. It's like this was an amazing experience for me, reading The Lord of the Rings. And since then I've read it many, many different times. But here's the thing. When you first read The Lord of the Rings, obviously you don't know what's going to happen and it's dark, there's doom over it. There's Mordor and there are these black riders and there's chaos. And you don't know whether it's a tragedy or a triumph. There's pain. But then you get to the end of the book and it's like, oh, it's a triumph. And what Jesus is saying is because of my death and the resurrection, you do know. Your life is a triumph because you're in Christ and I have won the victory at the cross. And therefore, even when you're going through pain, even when you're kind of like in Mordor, you know it's a triumph. Of course, that makes all the difference. And it makes you, you know, isn't it great to be a Christian? And if you're not a Christian, wouldn't you want to be? I mean, Jean-Paul Sartre, one of the great um, 
French intellectuals of the last century, atheists, of course. Jean-Paul Sartre at one point says something like this. He says, you know, why it is that we live on this big mud ball spinning in the infinite blackness of outer space, I have no idea. Why wouldn't you like to be a Christian? There's a plan. And because of Jesus' resurrection, you know there's victory. And you're a part of it. And yeah, there's pain. Your experience, as it were, the birth pangs of the Messiah. There is suffering. We've got to pick up our cross and follow him. There's pain. There's suffering. There's difficulty. But now in Christ, it all has a purpose. It all has, and yeah, you can't always see exactly what that purpose is, but because of Jesus' death and resurrection, there's a pattern now that is revealed in his triumph in his resurrection that means that as you go through pain, even if you're unhappy, you can still have joy. We say, how's that? Well, it's, it's a spiritual fruit. And so it comes then to the last section, which is uh, verses 23 uh, through to 28, and Jesus here is talking about this, talking about this, talking to the Father, talking to God. It's a spiritual thing, and what he says, and specifically here, is he's bringing out this whole idea of praying in Jesus' name, and uh, you, so uh, there are kind of two aspects to that. What does he mean by that? There, there are two things to it, and so he says, if you pray in my name, then whatever you ask, then you'll receive. Well, that sounds like it's sort of like a blank check. You can get whatever you want, but it's in Jesus' name. So. The first aspect of it is to pray in Jesus' name is to say the kind of things, to pray the kind of things that Jesus could put his name to. It's to, it's to say the kind of things to God that, that Jesus, as it were, could sign. That you can pray to God and say this, that, and the other, and then go, Jesus, signed Jesus. That prayer, Jesus says, will be answered. Of course, that's a huge motivation to get to know Jesus better. Because, because, you know, what power we would have as a church if we as a body, when we gather together in prayer in a week or so, when we, when we as a body gather together are praying in Jesus' name. That is, we're praying the kind of things that Jesus could sign off on. Yeah, Jesus. That prayer will be answered. So it means that, but also Jesus is here opening up another aspect of what it means to pray in, Jesus, in his name, in Jesus' name. So, um, in, um, so in the book of Hebrews, it talks about how because of Jesus' death on the cross, he has forgiven and sanctified, which is just another way of saying what we usually describe as justified, the Bible uses sanctified and justified sometimes in different ways. We talk about being justified. That is, we're declared right before God. That is, we're pure and righteous by what Jesus has done on the cross. His blood has cleansed us from all sins. We're, we're justified. We're sanctified. We now have a right to enter, the book of Hebrews says, the holy of holies, the most holy place to be in the very throne room of God, to enter there in Jesus' name, Jesus say, in my name. So what does he mean by that? Well, it's a bit like this, you know, in, in, the, in the Middle Ages, if an emissary or a messenger from the king sought entrance into a castle, you know, with high walls and big gates, and wanted to get in, what he would say is, open up in the name of the king. And the, the, the people on the top of the wall would open the door, it's in the name of the king. 
And when we pray, it's much, much more than just saying, in Jesus' name, at the end of your prayer. When we pray like this, we're saying, I have no right to be in the presence of God. In my own, in my own um, standing, by what I have done, I have absolutely no right. In, in my own sinfulness, I have absolute right, absolute, be absolutely right to cast me out into outer darkness forever. But in Jesus' name, I do have a right. I go in his name, in the name of the king, open the door. And then you're in the presence of the Father. And there you have the encounter with God. And that's what you're really seeking, that that quest for God. In Jesus' name, open up in the name of the king. And what that means is Christians pray with humility. It's not in our name, it's in his name. They pray with confidence. It's in his name, it's in the name of the king. They pray with integrity. For to pray in Jesus' name means, of course, that we ourselves, in the way we live, submit to the name of Jesus and follow him and do what he would be proud of and pleased of in our own personal lives. In the name of the king, I come. Open up. And then we're in the presence of the Father. And there's joy. You see, joy, Jesus talks about here, joy that cannot be taken away from you because the world did not give it to you. It's, it, it's come from the Father and it's joy even to the full, complete joy because you know the time, you've got this joy that comes from Jesus and then it will be fully completed, of course, on the last day. But right now, even when there's pain, even when there are unhappy things that make you feel unhappy, you can still, if you're in Christ, have joy because you're in in God's presence. But don't you want that? Don't you want more of that? Look, this is not this is not about temperament. Okay? Look, some of you know me, but I'm I'm not by nature um you know, I'm not all doom and gloom as a person, but I'm not by nature like, you know, the guy who wakes up first thing in the morning and goes, oh, what a wonderful day, you know. Um, it, it, you know, you know, the, you know optimists and, posi- uh, and, and pessimists, you know, the optimist, the glass is always half full, the, the pessimist, the glass is always half empty, you know, the optimist just drinks the water, Right? Um, it's not about temperament. You know, you've got an optimist and a pessimist who are thrown off a 100-story building and as, as, they, as they fall down, the, pos, the, the, the pessimist, you know, screams out like, oh no, and is screaming as he falls down. And when the optimist gets to the 10th floor, he says, so far, so good. <laughs> you know, so it's, it's, it's not about temperament. It's about... God himself for whom you are made. And all the other ways that our culture, and indeed it's, it's right in the church as well, all the other ways that we're seeking happiness, money, sex, drugs, uh, uh, achievement, fame, all these other things are just, they're just going to go. I mean, you know, um, Jay Gould, um, very rich, um, you know, multimillionaire, just said, uh, I- I'm the most miserable man on the face of the planet. You know, Voltaire, huge intellectual, said, I wish I had never been born. It's not about, it's not about money, it's not, not about intellect, it's, 
It's not about pleasure. Lord Byron, if anyone had pleasure, Lord Byron pursued pleasure. And that he said, all that is left for me is the worm, the canker, and grief are mine alone. That's why pleasure will get you. If you just seek pleasure, that's where it will get you. Worm, canker, and grief. Yours alone. And yet in God, you can have, in Christ, you can have this, this joy. Don't you want it? Um, I'm going to conclude with this. I was thinking about how to make as clear as I can the difference between happiness and this joy. So this is um, an illustration that actually comes from D.L. Moody, great Chicago preacher, and therefore it's about, it's about the American Civil War. So there's a soldier fighting in the Civil War. He's engaged to be married. And he's um, carrying on a correspondence with his fiancée. And then for about two, three months, she hears nothing. And of course, she fears the worst. And then she gets a letter. Not in his handwriting but from him. And the letter simply says, in the late battle, I was very badly wounded, and therefore I wish to release you from your promise to me. And this uh, young lady received this letter and uh, immediately made her way down to the, the front line where the battles had been taking place, looked for her fiancé, eventually found him in one of the hospitals where he was convalescing, went to his bedside and discovered that he'd been so badly wounded that they'd had to amputate both his arms, which is why he hadn't risen. And they got married and they had joy. It's not about happiness. It's not about, oh, I've got a big house, or, I've, or I haven't got a big house, or, you know, I've got my children are doing so well, or I, I, I'm really bright and intellectual. All that will just be dust in the end and disappointment. It's about, it's about joy. And according to Jesus... You can have it. Let's pray together. Our Lord God, our Father, we bow before you and pray that today you would give your people here at Cottage Church great joy. Lord, I pray for those here who don't yet know you, that that quest that they are on, you would open up their hearts by your Spirit, that they would experience you, and therefore, as C.S. Lewis put it, be surprised by joy. 
we glorify you and praise you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.